Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast and I'm also the Managing Director of B Squared. Welcome to this special episode. And in this episode, I'm joined by Claire Cortino, the Parliamentary Undersecretary of State for the Department for Education. If you're a new listener, then welcome to the Sendcast. The aim of the podcast is simple. We want to help everyone learn and be more aware about special educational needs and disability. We have recorded over 130 episodes and we've had over 160,000 listens over the last three years. So a big thank you to all our listeners and my amazing guests. In this episode, as I just mentioned, my guest is Claire Cortina. Claire is the Parliamentary Undersecretary of State for the DfE and is the Minister responsible for SEND, AP and many other overlapping areas. And in this episode, I discuss with Claire the SEND and AP Improvement Plan, which sets out the future of SEND and AP in England. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. We are the assessment people. We help show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make. We help schools show progress for a wide range of abilities and ages. If you're a primary school struggling to show progress or struggling to identify where a pupil isn't making progress, we can help. If you want to learn more about the SEND and AP Improvement Plan, we are running a free briefing with Lorraine Peterson OBE on the 22nd of March. Lorraine will take us through the plan and what it means. And to access this free briefing, either live or we will record it and you can access it afterward, register using the link in the show notes or head over and register on the Training for Education website, which is www.trainingforeducation.com. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing the SEND and AP Improvement Plan that was released last week. My guest is Claire Cortino. Claire is the Parliamentary Undersecretary of State at the Department of Education and is the Minister responsible for SEND, AP, Children's Social Care, Early Years and Child Care and lots of other areas. Welcome to the show, Claire. Hello, thank you so much for having me on. You are welcome. So you were appointed the Parliamentary Undersecretary of State at the Department for Education in October last year. And you've taken over the mantle of improving SEND and AP. And last year in March, the government released the SEND and AP Green Paper and launched a public consultation. And the plan was released last week, reflecting the views shared in the public consultation and sets out the plan for the next two to three years. So it's a good plan, I would say. I like it. There's lots of positive things in there from the schools I've talked to over the years, things they've not liked about the current situation we're in. I think there's a lot of things are going to tick a lot of boxes for a lot of people. Good. I'm so glad to hear it. We talked to a lot of people. So I think we spoke to about four and a half thousand people after we published the Green Paper. There were 6,000 online consultation responses. So this is obviously an area people deeply care about, but also there's so many moving parts. And hopefully that's reflected in the plans that we've set out. Because if you, you look at the entirety of the plan, we're really talking about systemic change to try and make sure that everyone's got what they need to deliver for children and young people with SEMD. And that's thing, if you, if you look through the plan and read through the plan, it is a real cultural shift from having to fight for every single bit of support to actually the support should be offered as soon as possible. Yes, and I spend a lot of my time speaking to parents and families. So I actually represent an area which has had one of the highest rises in demand for EHCPs anywhere in the country. So most of my surgeries since I became an MP, a good chunk of them is, is speaking to parents and families who are struggling with the system. And also before this role, I was Minister for Disabled People 
So I could see what was happening in adulthood as well when I was there. So yes, I think we're all very passionate about trying to get this right and make sure that the system doesn't feel like such a battle to get the support that you need. Because actually, the one thing I think is pretty universal when you talk to people is that if you can get the right support early on for whatever the particular condition is. In in lots of cases, you will just see such a vast improvement and it is really worth our while trying to get that right. Definitely. Some of the people would say, if you read social media stuff, that there's nothing wrong with the current system if it was, if local authorities were held accountable and things worked as they should. And I think that's a big fear with um, the new system, how it's going to look, is the accountability really has to be there. Local authorities have to be held to account. And I'm hoping things like that dashboard, rather than waiting for that inspection, however many years' time to find out that LA is failing, that data dashboard should give us much more instant view into what areas of the country aren't working well. Yes, and we're trying to get the dashboards up and running by the end of the year. That's one of the things that we want to do the quickest, just because, as you say, having that transparency of what's going on in a local area, I think will help us improve the services that they're providing. But the other thing that I would say is, yes, this is about accountability. We have actually changed the Ofsted area framework to make it, I think, to strengthen that accountability. So that's including things like timeliness of responses, is in, including things like health partners for the first time you've got a social care inspector that's part of that, because we know that so often it's not just the education, it's also the health and care side, which is not coming through. But mostly it's about getting under the bonnet of why areas aren't delivering. So if you look at, for example, why areas have been failing recently, things like timeliness, what's going on there? It's about access to making sure you've got the right sort of number of educational psychologists in the system so people can get that diagnosis, so you can get that assessment result back more quickly. It's about making sure you've got the right training in the mainstream sort of teacher workforce as well. So again, you've got that early identification and support coming through much more quickly before children come into crisis. So it's about trying to understand why, what areas need in terms of tools and equipment so that they can deliver for children and young people, as well as getting that accountability layer right. It's a lot more an inclusion and supporting them in the settings they're in rather than going into special and supporting there. But that is, I think that's going to put a lot of workload on the teachers and those mainstream schools. I'm interested in kind of how is that going to be managed, that additional workload is How is that going to change? So I think there's a couple of things there. So firstly, we are massively increasing the number of specialist school places. That's one of the things that we've seen across the country is there's a demand for specialist school places. So we've got £2.6 billion set out to 2025. Last week, we announced 33 new special free schools across the country. We've already sort of built 92. We've got 49 in the pipeline already with seven opening in September. So it is about increasing that specialist school provision. So that is there for children who need that extra support. In terms for workload for teacher, I hope this is actually going to be helpful. One of the things that I find when I go to mainstream schools is often teachers say, do you know what, I'm just not confident dealing with whatever a particular condition is. I wish I knew the best possible evidence. And we want to do that work for them. So we're sending out three best practice guides this year, which will be focusing on those areas where we've seen some of the highest demand. So autism is one, mental health and well-being is another and early speech and language is, is another area. So just so that you know, we can do some of that work for them in terms of giving them the best possible evidence so that they do feel confident to, to deal with different challenges that students are facing, which is a lot of what teachers, I think, ask me for. But I think on top of that is making sure that the mainstream school sector is properly funded. So we set out two billion extra pounds uh, in each of the next two years at the autumn statement, which is taking funding to historic record real term highs to make sure that you have that extra support that you need at all levels as well. 
And I suppose is that funding is going to be moved from the local authorities divvying it out to that being done centrally by the DfE. And I'm hoping that actually means more of the money put into the system actually reaches the schools. Because I think a lot of schools are fighting for some of that money from local authorities. They're having to fight to get TAs. They're struggling to recruit TAs because the the amount of money the local authorities are paying isn't enough. They're not covering on costs. And it makes it really hard for schools to employ those teachers with what they have available, or those TAs with what they have available. Yeah, so we're coming at it from both ends, actually. So we've taken mainstream school funding to historic real-term highs with this sort of extra injection of £2 billion a year for the next couple of years. But we've also increased the high needs block, which is that sort of money that gets distributed through local authorities by over 50% in the last four years. So actually, both sides have seen a huge increase, which hopefully will start to be felt. But I think the most important thing is that all of these parts need to work together because actually, if you are getting in there early and identifying what's going on, if you've got the right sort of teacher training so that teachers and schools feel confident to be able to address some of these challenges early on, then actually what you should see is less children escalating into crisis. And that's one of the things that I found is when I go and talk to parents and families, one of the things I hear quite a lot is actually, if only this was picked up sooner, we wouldn't be where we are. You know, sometimes then you get sort of emotional mental health challenges as well, because the whole sort of educational journey has been so difficult. So I think getting all parts of the system right should help as well in terms of people feeling that they're better equipped. And actually, the funding is also going to the more complex needs where it's really desperately needed. I think with those practice guides, the guidance you're going to be giving around head teachers, your trust level guidance about making SEN much more important. I think it's going to be a really crucial for changing everyone's mindset yeah. and yeah. putting that support in first rather than almost in some situations avoiding giving that support. I think all of those things is really fundamental, those changes. And also for me, I really love the idea of a standard digitized EHCP yeah. because I know schools where they're on a couple of different authorities have to fill in three completely different sets of paperwork. The parents can't really get guidance because the paperwork is specific to their local authority. Whereas if we have this standard form, there can be lots of guidance on how to complete it and what it means to really help parents go that. But fingers crossed, by everything you're doing, there'll be less need for those EHCPs. And that's, to me, I think a lot of parents are scared by that. If you deliver the promises and what's set out, then there shouldn't be as need for as many EHCPs and children should be supported before it becomes so critical. Well, let me, let me answer both sides of this, because I think that the, fir the first question I think is really important about that sort of cultural change, that sort of mind shift. I think the thing we have to recognise is that it's a, it, this is a significant proportion of the pupil population. I think it's 16.5% now um, identifies having a special educational need and a disability. So it is important to have special provision, but it's not enough to have special provision. I think you need to have a much wider sort of set of mindset and confidence in terms of inclusivity in schools. We've done a hugely impressive job, I think, in terms of raising standards and excellence, but inclusivity has to be part of it. And in 2019, we actually changed the Ofsted framework for schools. So you can't be rated as good or outstanding unless you can show that you can get good outcomes for SEN children. So I think that is really important in terms of we've got to change the mindset as much as possible to focus on inclusivity. And that's what the national standards will do, the best practice guides, the teacher training, the things that we've been talked about. And now just to talk about the EHCP process. I mean, I talk to sort of parents and, you know, they can show you all of their paperwork and you can weigh it by the kilo 
And I think it is enormously yeah. sad the amount of time that they're spending on wading through bureaucracy when they actually want to spend that time with their children. So I'm very yeah. passionate about this particular area. And that's what we'll be trying to do is make sure that they're standardized. Because also, if you move between different areas as well, then parents go through this enormous difficulty of having to go through the whole rigmarole again. Make sure that there's an online version. Obviously, if you can't go online, which may not be your viewers thinking about it, but if they know someone who's in that situation, then there will always be a route for you. So it won't just be solely a digital offer, but just making it much simpler and much smoother for parents to deal with the EHCP process. And some people worry that would be, you know, an inflexible then sort of set of choices. That's not what this is meant to be about. The whole point, I think, of sort of um, meeting the needs of children with special education needs is that you have to have flexibility to meet their specific needs. So this is not about sort of standardizing how you meet the needs, but it's just about going through that process to make it much simpler and smoother for parents. Definitely. One of the things which was in the Green Paper last year, but it wasn't really any mention was kind of Senko workload and protected time. Um, So my question is, is that kind of disappeared because we're putting more of the strategic role of that Senko back into the school leaders? And as we're reducing that sort of EHCP burden of the consultations and the applications and all that lot, actually that Senko role is going to go back to supporting the children in that school rather than being an admin role and trying to drive strategic, but kind of not getting that support from senior leaders. So we, we're not introducing a national approach to protected time, but we do have the SEND code of practice, which makes it clear that SENCO should have sufficient time um, and the resources to carry out their role. So I think it was just a question of, do we think that is in there in terms of our code of practice? Actually, we think we do. But what I think will be helpful is making sure that SENCOs, again, like they have the best possible evidence in terms of what they do. I've met some absolutely tremendous Senkos in my time. And you can see how transformational they are in terms of confidence they give to parents and families and those young people. And in, in, I think just sometimes it's the first person that they've come across who can say, I know exactly what you're going through. And by the way, this is what we're going to do to help you. So it's a hugely important role. And I think what we're looking at doing is changing the qualification again, best possible evidence, looking at what works is going to be quality assured by the EEF at the Education Endowment fund and also Ofsted and just making sure everyone feels very well supported in the system and has the confidence to to do that role. I suppose because if everything's becoming standardized then you can really link up that qualification with that role much better and the law and things like that whereas at the moment because each authority is different it's harder to align the NACENCO with what's actually going on in the practical world because it depends which authority you're going to work in ultimately at the moment. Yes, exactly. And I think setting out those national standards so that everyone knows what should be provided at what particular times and who should do it and just making that all much more transparent, I think will also make the role, hopefully, of the Senko much easier. Excellent. And if you read the plan, it's all going to come in fully towards the end of 2025. But it's nice to see there are changes coming in now. As you said, that we're trying to go for that data dashboard. You're working on those guides and they'll be out over time. How are you hoping that the local authorities will be really open to change as soon as possible? Yes, I think so. Like the conversations that I've had with local authorities are usually along the lines of help us. You know, we, are, we know we're struggling. Can you help us? So there's some things that we haven't waited for the publication of the report. So the increase in funding has been happening for the last four years. So that's sort of 50% for the high needs block that's gone up by. And the injection of money that we're doing into mainstream education, again, we sort of set out last year that £2 billion extra for each of the next two years. We've also already set out plans to train more educational psychologists. We, tra- we set out plans and we're underway 
in terms of increasing the amount of places in specialist schools. So there's quite a lot of stuff that we've just gone on with because we can see the system needs it and we're just cracking on. There are some bits like national standards, for example, where we want to take time to make sure that we're setting up a parents and carers steering group, for example, that would be something that we do, one of the first things that we do to make sure that we're working with people so that we get these things right. They're things where you can have unintended consequences and you want to make sure that you are using the voice of all people who are going to be affected by them to get it absolutely right. Versus, for example, something like the dashboards, which we want to get up very quick by the end of the year. So you can get that sort of bird's eye view in each different area in terms of what's going on. So we're trying to get that balance, I think, in terms of things which just need collaboration and consultation with with different groups and stuff where we can just get on and deliver. And hopefully people will, will see how that we've done that if they look at everything that we're doing in the report. Excellent. So I've got one last question. I know you're very busy and you've got lots to do. I love this push towards inclusion and all this guidance around. But one of the things I come across on groups is arguments around reasonable adjustment. And if I look through various guidance, it's hardly ever mentioned anywhere. And I think as part of this inclusion, I think lots of schools would welcome what does reasonable adjustment really look like with some schools having zero tolerance around behavior policies or dress codes or trying to ban phones. Well, actually, for some students, having that phone is supporting them. It's assistive technology. They need that. Is there going to be some guidance available to schools on kind of what that reasonable adjustment kind of looks like? I know it's completely not part of the, but it's one of the things when I look at that inclusion, it's a big area, I think. So I'm really interested in this area. Look, when I go and talk to families and schools as well, you've got particularly people coming from back from the pandemic, these small changes which can make this vast difference. So something like soft shoes, for example, you've got some students who got used to soft shoes in the pandemic they were at home and actually putting on hard shoes has been a real barrier for them coming back to school. So there's these small changes which I think can make an enormous difference. And I'm very keen to see what we can do in terms of that. I mean, one of the things that we talked about in terms of the report was making sure that we're helping schools to comply with their duties under the Equalities Act, just making sure that everyone can feel supported. But I do often think that sometimes it's a very, you will talk to a parent or a family, it's a very minor change that actually needs to be done. And I think, I understand why schools can worry about, for example, overall behaviour and things like that. But where I've seen it, it, it happen and it happened well, actually, you don't get that because I think children are actually pretty understanding of saying, well, X, X person in the classroom just needs this to be able to get on to concentrate, whatever it is. And so that's why we're doing that for them. And children actually are pretty understanding of these things. So I'm very keen to see what we can do. That be, that's me. That's really important because it is. I see people going, I, I feel a child should be out of this, but they're saying no because we do this and it's got to be the same for all the children. It's like, that's not right. And just, yeah, having some guidance as part of that, I think we really useful. Okay. Excellent. So um, thank you for coming on the show today, Claire. It's been really useful. Thank you very much for having me. And it is, as I said, overall, to me, there's loads of good things in here. I hope things don't get watered down as they go along, as they sometimes do. But um, yeah, to me, it's a really good plan. And we've got to accept with these such big changes from local authorities almost fighting to give, you have to fight them to get support, to being giving support freely is a huge change. And you can't just push a button and it announce and it'd it be happening. It's going to take time. And some authorities, it took years to fully implement the previous code of practice. So it's a long change, but it's a change which is needed. And I think overall is definitely going to be welcomed. Oh, good. Well, I'm delighted to hear that. I think look, we've looked at, as I said, all parts of the system and hopefully what we end up with is a stronger system overall, which is much better at assessing the local needs of its residents and making sure that they've got everything in place. Because ultimately, that's what we want for children and young people. We want them to get the right support early on enough so they can have an excellent childhood and go on and have a great adulthood, no matter where they're ending up. 
Excellent. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. We'll be putting links to the SEND and AP Improvement Plan and the analysis of the consultation in the show notes. You'll also find a link to the free briefing I mentioned that we are running on the 22nd of March, where Lorraine Peterson, OBE, will take us through the plan and what it means. You can find the show notes on our website or where you listen to this podcast. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, click on that subscribe button wherever you're listening to the podcast. You can follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. On Facebook, The Sendcast. And on Instagram, The Sendcast. Nice and simple, really. And if you're struggling to show progress, if your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long, or you just want to see what is available, have a look at the B-Squared website or book a free online meeting with me so I can take you through our products. We have a range of assessment products to help all schools show small steps of progress for pupils with SEND. If you're a school in England and want to be more inclusive, if you're not sure about the pre-key stage standards or anything else around assessment, get in contact. You can also find out about our online training and conferences, read our blogs, watch our webinars, including our recent webinars on assessing progress for pupils working out of year group, and also webinars around analysing data for pupils with SEND. This is all on the B-Squared website. And you'll find a link to the website and to book a meeting with me in the show notes. But if you prefer, you can always drop me an email. My email address is dale at bsquared.co.uk. Nice and simple. So thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Sendcast. <laughs>